0: Welcome to the Ignite podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to ignite the growth of your agency.
1: Pay attention to the things that you can affect, let the other things go. During times of mental and physical discomfort, that's when one's character emerges. Coincidentally, it's also where the greatest growth and learning take place. That's the beauty of failure. It is life's greatest mentor and it's your best teacher. Now, what makes it even more poignant is if you have great mentors around you to pull you aside and say, come here, young buck, I know you made that mistake. Talk me through it. If you are feeling frustrated, the lack of growth in your agency,
2: and you're impatient to reach those ever moving goalposts,
0: then here's your invitation to spend a day with us at AJHQ for a no holds barred peek behind the scenes of our agency, Ashton Jones.
2: All you need to do is go to ajmastermind.co.uk forward slash BTS Day.
0: Best of all, it's free. Here are your hosts, Sam and Phil. Today's guest, we are really excited about, aren't we? We are very
2: excited about. It's it, been a long time coming.
0: Yeah, we've had to delay it twice, him, not us, because he's so busy and so important, and he's been on some amazing daredevil missions. So, Mike Sorelli, you might not have actually heard his name. You can definitely not spell it because it's taken us a few attempts. He is an amazing author. Um, he writes with one of his contemporaries called Jeff Osterman, who's an MBA coach and The book he wrote, which is probably my favorite book on attracting and retaining fantastic talent, is called The Talent War. And I would highly recommend that. I've listened to it. I've read it several times. I always get something more out of it. So definitely go and read that. And he's also made a film about some of his daredevil stunts. (laughs) What common stunts? them a mission. He's done a 16 jumps in Iceland. which is jumps out of an aeroplane. So skydiving jumps. He's also jumped onto Everest. So that's called Drop Zone. Drop zone Everest, actually. You can probably find it on YouTube or somewhere. And he's also done seven in seven, I think it's called, which is seven jumps around the world. Trouble seven he called it. Trouble seven on seven continents with some of the vets as well. And he does it to raise awareness of the lives lost in certain missions. For example, the Extortion 17 mission in 2011, where 31 of his comrades were lost on a mission in Afghanistan, I think it was. And he wants to raise awareness and inspire and educate people across the world about the kind of attributes that make a Navy SEAL or a Marine or, you know, one of these special forces. Mm. His latest book, which is, again, highly recommended, slightly smaller, so a little bit quicker to read, is called The Everyday Warrior, which is also the name of his podcast. And again, listen to that. I think it's up to about 25 or 30 episodes, and they're really, really good.
2: Yeah, he was a very polished podcaster. He knew how to answer questions and, and the, he knew the information that we wanted to get out of the question. You know, so we hope you enjoy reviewed, it. We're viewing him as a podcast guest, but
0: if we were, he's got five stars.
2: Yeah. If I didn't already know what was going to happen in the next five minutes, I would predict it'd be quite good. <laughs> <laughs> so listen to it and we'll catch up with you again at the end.
0: How are you, Mike?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you guys?
0: Yeah, really good, thank you. We're in sunny Windermere in the north of England, near Scotland. Okay. Whereabouts are you?
1: Good. I'm in sunny Texas, uh-uh. where it's warm.
0: Very sunny Texas.
1: Yes. Yes, ma'am.
0: Before we get started, can I just ask you, what does the one-stop ATTA time, what does that mean?
1: What, one step at a time. We talk about it in the book heavily. Ada is a brand that just launched. Some new partners are coming in, but it's just a a methodology. You build a company one brick at a time you know, sort of the boy. We just, you know, did a play on words and turned it into a mantra for us.
0: I feel bad now because I have actually just read that book this weekend and I did not pick up the atta bit of it. I just didn't, I, I couldn't work out why it was always in capitals.
1: We, so it, it just, again, we we, we turned it into a catchphrase. So, you know, we take it one day at a time. We take how do you climb a mountain one step at a time at a, we just, made it out of and turned it into a brand. And yeah, we're having fun with it.
0: It's a good, strong brand. It's It looks good. It looks good. Let me introduce myself. I'm Sam. Phil, <laughs> I'll introduce him as well. He is not only my business partner, he's also my son-in-law. So no mother-in-law jokes, please. Okay. We run a mastermind for real estate agents here in the UK. And so the people who listen to this podcast are owners of micro businesses. So all the things you talk about, resilience, fortitude, mindset, super, super relevant. And we also embrace that ethos as well. So thank you for sharing what you've shared. But I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Mike, because you'll do a much better job than us. Because it was a very long list of a bio when I started trying to write a bio for you.
1: Yeah, we've got to work on that. We've got to get it down to, to something condensed. I'm just moving rapidly at all, all moments of the time. We just jumped into all seven continents. And that was a 18-month project that is still wrapping up. So I'm all over the place.
0: You're an author of two books. You're now a media star. I've just watched your uh, documentary this weekend. Super impressed with it. I've just got the team to watch it as well. Really enjoyed watching that. And of course, you are a military vet and you inspire and educate people all over the world. Is that a fair enough bio?
1: That's a fair enough bio. A media star? Absolutely <laughs> not. That's not the your uh, goal. You know, my daughter's like, you're becoming an influencer. And I actually had an <laughs> allergic reaction to that. I said, it's. To go from what I did in the SEAL teams, and I was with a very small subset of the SEAL teams, the, what we call the top one to 2%, your equivalent of what you would call the uh, British SAS mm-hmm. or British SBS. And so you don't go from that to being an influencer. Uh, I'm trying to drive impact. <laughs> in that documentary, I watched it once. I will never watch it again. Hopefully we we displayed uh, vulnerability and I redefined what I know to be the most lethal warriors in the world, and I served alongside SAS and SBS. They're cut from the same cloth, but they're not what people think. They're not like some veterans out there in the media beating their chest or playing to what I call the lowest common denominator, a meathead. In fact, SAS guys, you know, uh, JSOC guys are the most, one, they're wildly intelligent they conduct themselves with professionalism and show that intelligence. They're empathetic, they're respectful, they're kind. And that's what I want the public to know that uh, those are the guys that are solving either the, uh, the prime minister's most asymmetric affairs or the president's most asymmetric affairs, That they're not meatheads that you know, success is actually defined by not firing your gun in achieving whatever outcomes you, you want, but apparently, uh, Hollywood does not (laughs) do that justice. Oh, that,
0: that wouldn't sell films, would it? Let's face it. No, it would not. Something I was really interested in as well is how you embrace this kind of, this daily discipline, you know, even when you showed us around your house and you've got the, you've got the ice bath outside, which I'm just getting into cold showers. So yeah, it's been a hard journey for me, but clearly it's something that's worked for you. And I, I was wanting to ask you whether it's the challenge of doing it or whether you genuinely believe it's got, it makes a difference to your body.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I was laughing this morning. That's so funny about, I remember taking cold showers in Afghanistan during the winter where it was already cold enough up in the the Hindu Kush. And I did it because I had read some book about the health benefits. So, you know, it's amazing the amount of things we do in pursuit of excellence that just serve no purpose whatsoever. But, you know, cold baths actually have especially if you pair it with, you no know, heat, the contrast has a, a lot of health benefits, but it is also the challenge. Who wants to get into a cold bath when it's 31 degrees outside or a cold tub? So, you know, above my garage, it says small Minds repair shop and it's sort of my daily prep. So when I'm on the road, it sort of sucks. When I wake up in a hotel, I've got to find a, a gym, but that's how I start my day. And I recommend people that, you know, one, always knock your workout out in the morning. Because by the time it's like four PM, your boss, or if you run your own business, you're like, dude, I want to go get a workout in, but I've got like two hours more of work, and then you're going to put in that work because you love your business. And I know a lot of your listeners are, are are entrepreneurs; they own their own businesses, and then you're skipping out on your health. This is a long game. What good is a multi-million dollar business if you then have you know car, you know uh, heart disease because you ignored your, your your health? But you know the small minds repair shop is to get my mind right for the day. And it, it is basically a, a phrase I say, today is going to be harder, and that's what I'm here for. If it's not, then what's the whole freaking point?
0: Yeah, you do hard say actually... choices.
1: Let, let me say this. Yeah. Hard choices lead to an easy life.
0: Yeah, I read that, and I was going to ask you yeah. exactly about that. Yeah. Go ahead, go. So you say hard choices lead to an easy life. Could you not argue that easy choices also lead to an easy life?
1: Oh, an easy and a very unmemorable life. If you make easy choices. Who wants to read that book? That's not a book I want to read. I want somebody who says, you know, we just had a 73 year old on this triple seven expedition where we went and skydived into seven continents. And it was supposed to be seven days. We did six, uh, six days, six hours and six minutes. This guy is 73. His name is Jim Wigginton. highly successful, private equity, very, you know, did very well for himself, can do what he wants in life. But like it was a black belt in Taekwondo. The guy just has no off button. He had a hernia before this. And he tried to hide it from us. And then we discovered in Antarctica that he had a hernia. And I was pissed at him. But he's like, Oh, I'll be okay. And he just he when I'm his age, I hope I'm I have no off button like that. And I'm like, Hey, Jim, is this it? Is this the last two raw? He's like, Hell no. He's <laughs> like, I got like 10 more of these left in me. Yeah. And you know, that guy's lived a life. That when you sit down with him at the table and he starts talking, I just listen. I listen. So, you know, hard choices, what ultimately what we're saying there is when you make the hard choice to get up early, or you take the hard choice to do what nobody else wants to do, you're moving from external discipline to self-discipline. And we everyone talks about discipline, discipline, discipline. If you look at the definition of it, it's to impose from an external force imposing punishment on an employee or my child for an infraction, whatever that infraction may be. But, and if you look at Mike, before I joined the military, I had no focus, didn't graduate high school with my class, wasn't from a lack of uh, you know uh, capability or capacity, no focus, no discipline. Then I joined the US Marine Corps, which is known for being the most disciplined force. And I went from graduating high school with a 2.9 GPA and graduating college four years later with a 3.65. I, I assure that. you, I didn't get smarter during that yeah, like, yeah, three yeah. to five years. You as just worked harder. Yeah, no, they taught me everything. They taught me discipline. And so ultimately you have to move from somebody being accountable for you to you being self-disciplined and self-accountable as well. And that's the whole point. That's what I saw the best warriors do. If they made a mistake, no one had to come to them and say, Hey man, I saw you make that mistake. No, before anyone would say it, you know, at the end of a mission, they'd say, Hey, I all, I all want you to know. I made a mistake in this room on this target. And this is what happened. This is what I learned from it. And they'll share it. And when you see high performers all around you doing that, it's like osmosis. You have nowhere to go, but if you have a growth mindset.
2: So I just want to bring you back right to, so before you started with the Marines and, and you, you said you didn't have any focus or you didn't have any direction. And you talk about the key traits of talent being drive, resiliency, adaptability, humility, integrity, Effective intelligence, team ability, curiosity, and emotional strength. How did you know you had all of those before you joined the military? Or did that bring it out of you? And if so, how did they bring it out of you?
1: Yeah, you get into the nurture versus nature. And and, and first off, I got to say, I grew up with good parents. They were strict parents. And my mom probably knew I had that in, in me. My dad probably started to doubt it after a while. (laughs) But when I say I had no focus, let me say I had focus in all the wrong areas. If it didn't revolve around girls, uh, parties, I I didn't care, but you know, everyone has those attributes, any attribute, it's almost like a spectrum, either they're very low on that attribute or they're very high on that attribute knows are are, are the high performers high on every attribute. No, but can you improve? Yes. You know, I I don't believe that if if you're fixed minded, if you have a a fixed mindset, you're saying, hey, I am what I am, and I can't improve anymore. Or if you have a growth mindset, it may be like, you know what, I'm low in humility, my ego is getting in the way, I need to put steps in place to when I see my ego coming out, I've got a step where I can say, hey, wait, wait, step back. What is best for the organization or best for my family or best for this conversation? How do I remove my ego? How do I open my ears? And and when you start to do that and you make it a part of a process of whenever you see your ego coming out, you can actually improve at those things. It's like saying somebody who's 45 years old and obese can't become healthy. They're fixed. They can't. No, they can. We've seen that happen. They take ownership over their lives. They start becoming accountable for their own actions. They start demonstrating self-discipline. All of a sudden, you see this person that's 300 pounds. Next time you see him, he's 225 or she's 225. And then a year after that, they're down to 185. And it's those stories, those hard choices that you're like, wow, I want to hear all about it. How do you notice your ego? Oh, man, I think sometimes some things come with time. And I know your beautiful mother-in-law, she's only probably around 38. But you know, I'm 45 now. And I wish I could go back and get five to to five minutes to sixty minutes with a uh, twenty five year old Mike. Yeah. to just tell him to calm down, and that not everything is about him. And I did I think one of the things I did well was I always identified with the team. But when I identified somebody who was not a team player, my ego would come out against that person. And there were so many better ways to deal with that. And I learned through a lot of failure, that's the beauty of failure. it is It is life's greatest manner. And it's your best teacher. Now, what makes it even more poignant is if you have great mentors around you to pull you aside and say, Hey, come here, young buck. I know you made that mistake. Talk me through it. And I had great, I mean, world class mentors, some who are well known, like Admiral William McCraven or Chris Bussell, who's the president of McChrystal Group, General Stanley McChrystal's firm, or, or even guys like Dave Cooper, who here's this guy, Dave Cooper, was the master chief of a JSOC unit, probably one of the smartest SEALs I've ever met, and then goes and gets his master's from Oxford. This is an American at like the age of the late 40s. If that doesn't show you a, a growth mindset of most people in their 40s are like, yeah, I'm done with educating. No, the highest performers are always educating themselves, not necessarily formally by going to Oxford or Harvard or some other university, but they're just ferocious readers. They're always learning and they have that the, the they have the ability to shut off their mouth, open their ears, and listen to people of all diverse backgrounds, regardless of how old they are, how much experience they have, and say, "I can learn something from this young buck or this old bull. Quick question. Would
0: you like the chance to come and see behind the scenes of our agency, Ashdown Jones, here in the beautiful Lake district? Have a look at all our systems and processes and meet the team and go away with ideas, motivated and fired up to put your plans into action. Well, great news. If you just go to ajmastermind.co.uk forward slash BTS Day, which stands for behind the scenes, you'll see exactly how to book on to our next behind the scenes day here at Ashdown Jones. Best of all, it's free. So you know you journal, don't you, every morning and every night? Just all do that? Oh yeah. And when you journal, what tends to show up the most? So this is a reflection of, in fact, I think, is it Jeff Osterman that said that the greatest leaders he knows, the most successful people are always self-reflective. So that's kind of what you're doing, isn't it? In the journal, unless you're practicing gratitude, I don't know know what you're actually writing, but what shows up in your journal on a daily basis?
1: So let let me also step back by saying the highest performers I served with, and guys, this book is not my autobiography. It's not. It is about the men and the women I served with and what I learned from them along the way. My biography would be really very short. It would say two things. One, if I've seen further, because it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Isaac Newton said that. And then two, this is from Mike Sorelli. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. (laughs) What I mean by that is I was always part of a great team. I contributed towards that team winning, but I was never the best at anything. And that doesn't hurt my ego anymore. Did I compete to try to be the best in certain areas? Yes. And by competing with those high performers, I've made myself better. But Jeff and a lot of us say the same things. When we talk about leadership and and self-help, there is no new concept out there. That's why it says time-tested principles. It is, you know, leadership and mentorship is a oral history passed down from the older generation to us. And guess what? The generation that was older than them did it to them. So, the highest performers in the world that I've noticed were always self-reflective and they were always writing, writing because they knew they had to one sort of document it in that one day they would pass those lessons on to, to others. And they didn't want to let go of those lessons. And in the military we've got these green notebooks, I don't have one near me, but you get these notebooks for free from supply and guys would have these just journals, these green notebooks of their 20 year career and they'd have like 20 notebooks and they would journal about training, about combat, about things they learned along the way or or something they learned from a great leader. So when I go through this process, sometimes formally, sometimes informally, what I mean is just talking to myself which I do all the time. And my wife looks at me like I'm going crazy is I basically say, what did I do well? Let's recognize the small victories. Cause sometimes when you identify what you do well those breadcrumbs can lead to more success. And you want to do more of that. Hey, this, you know, I did, I took these actions. It ended really well. Let's try that again tomorrow. But more importantly, what did I do wrong? What did I not do well? And what are those areas for growth? You want to call them a weakness? Fine. I call them areas for growth. And what do I do tomorrow to improve upon those areas and start moving in the right direction? So that's the point of, of journaling. If it's for your biography later down the road, that's fine too. Maybe you want to tell your story, but mine is more from a standpoint of oh boy, I I screwed up. How do I fix that starting tomorrow? So uh, I don't end up next to the, or or the picture over the uh, word insanity in the dictionary that says trying the same thing over and over again expecting a different outcome. So
0: that's what I was going to ask you, really. Do do you find the same things show up every single day and you've gone, oh God, I've done it again. Or do you find that it's just a new mistake that you make every day? What, What kind of themes are in there?
1: You know, I would love to say I don't make the same mistake twice. I make the same mistake a 1000 times. And it's like, what the hell, man? What is going on? Why are you doing this? And if you get granular about it, you'll find that, hey, there's something here, because you're not learning from your mistakes. So let's dissect this and find the root cause of why in a conversation with a person that's confrontational, you match it with confrontation, you know, better, the person's an open book, you know how to sort of envelop them or, or flank them. And really, why do you continue to put your ego into the conversation? And if you dissect that, hey, you know what? At one point, I viewed everyone as an enemy because I was very bitter of the loss of, uh, of some of my brothers in arms. And I went in the opposite direction. And I recognized that there was trauma there. And so it's. I will only say over the last three to four years and some great mentorship, have I now learned to extract my ego from a conversation and if somebody wants to, we, we say peacock, uh, <laughs> some guy wants to peacock and just let him peacock and I'll <laughs> listen to it. And great, hear him out.
0: Tell me about the elastic band. Cause I was listening to that on a podcast this morning. I thought that was really
1: interesting. Are you talking about this band or are you talking about a rubber band?
0: Yeah, rubber, a band. rubber
1: band. Yeah, sometimes some guys taught me. So we often wear uh, rubber bands. I was wearing a SOCOM one recently and it broke. Is you'll just, when you recognize you're doing it, you set these patterns and it's, it's, you know, eventually you don't need them, but you just snap the rubber band three times and it sort of says, hey, you know what to do. You're recognizing that you would fall into an old habit, a bad habit, like bringing your ego to a conversation as this guy's talking and his ego's growing, just snap your rubber band three times, reset, listen, and then move past the ego and find whatever compromise you're trying to achieve out of that conversation without inserting yours. So it's a great tool. What we tried to do with these this, the, these books and is actually put practical things that people could use. You know, one of my biggest fears, now I speak to, to companies for a living. I actually, not to top my back, I, somebody hit me up on LinkedIn last Thursday and they're like, hey, congratulations, man. And I said, congratulations on what? I, I just made it into the top 30 leadership speakers in the globe through global gurus. I'm like, no way. And I'm happy. But reflecting back on that, I used to fear getting up even in front of 16 SEALs because I I wasn't always that articulate. And I can't say I'm all that more articulate now, but I'm a little more confident. And I would fear that if I said something stupid, you know, they'd all make fun of me. And now I'll go in front of uh, a thousand people and my, my heartbeat doesn't even go up. It's because one of my peers, he was enlisted, you know, was a great speaker. And he saw that I would get a little nervous and I, I'm going to swear. And he came over and he said, Mike, let me tell you the two words I say before I get up and speak in front of any, every crowd. Cause he would just carry a crowd and people would follow him. And he said the two words and hopefully I don't ruin your clean rating is fuck it. He said what he sold, he told himself is just fuck it. What does it matter? Go be who you are, carry the crowd. And I, and I laughed, I laughed. And now before I get up on stage or, or any podcast, I say those words, <laughs> so, you know, my, my, my son's 15. He's heard me swear before. <laughs> But I just, it makes me smile and I laugh. And so that's my habit. Before I get in front of a crowd, I say those two words, I smile and we go have a hell of a time. And if I screw up, guess what? I'm going to learn from it. Not the end of the world. Nobody's shooting at me. We're moving on.
2: In your book, The Everyday Warrior, you talk about 11 principles of living. And one of those- Which is, I
0: absolutely love. I think they're, they're really good. Like really good.
2: One of those is learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's something that we talk about to our masterminds quite often. We regularly challenge ourselves, whether it's running every day or whether it's getting in the lake or whether it's the cold showers, whatever it may be. And a lot of the room often look at us as if we're strange or don't understand why we would put ourselves in an uncomfortable position. And you talked about being in Afghanistan, which doesn't get much more uncomfortable, but yet well, jump, going, jumping out of a plane onto uh, or a helicopter onto Everest is pretty uncomfortable as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you're then not in, only in Afghanistan, you're then going to do cold showers in Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. So, for the, the people that want to start their journey with challenges or putting themselves in a comfortable position, to ha- how do they start? What, what's the end game they're trying to find?
1: You know, a woman just asked that same question. I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, working with the company, a company, great utility company on leadership. And we talked about, deliberately placing yourself in discomfort for growth. Ultimately, if you look at why the SAS or SBS put people through such hell to get into those units, it's not because they're sadistic and like to watch people in pain. It's not. It's because this is is well known. During times of mental and physical discomfort, that's when one's character emerges. Coincidentally, it's also where the greatest growth and learning take place. If I constantly put you in a 70 degree room, And I'm teaching you to weld metal. And I then put you into a, you know, let's say, uh, you guys use Celsius. I'm (laughs) using Fahrenheit. All right. So zero degree, let's say zero degree Celsius environment. It's not the same as when you were learning in a much warmer environment. And so you fall back on this character and these soft skills. So the woman said to me, she's like, oh my God, I get anxious every time I have to step into a room, a meeting and speak. And I said, that's okay. So do I. So here's the thing about discomfort. Don't run and just jump into the deep end. You're setting yourself up for failure and you may quit. It's like somebody who's had a bad diet for so long. They're like, starting tomorrow on Monday, I'm just going to eat all lettuce. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, you're you're probably going to fail. Is slowly, incrementally expose yourself to increasing levels of discomfort. And by doing that, by dipping a toe in the water first and then taking the time to step back and say, okay, how did that feel? Why was I anxious and what did I learn and identify a way to stick two more toes into the water. And then again, go through the learning process, the reflection process and build upon that before you know it, one foot's in there, a whole leg, both legs, and maybe one month, two months, three months, or 12 months down the road, you're running off the side of that pool saying F it and jumping (laughs) right into the, uh, the deep end. And I was no different. I was no different. When I joined the Marine Corps, I weighed, I weighed probably about 135 pounds. I, I can't convert that to stones, guys. So do you, uh, I do know the audience well, it's, here's- uh, It's not much heavier it, than it's, me. It's about nine I, and a half stone. Yeah. I, I was small. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm surrounded by these guys who came from tougher backgrounds. And I didn't all of a sudden move from 135 pounds to when I retired- to 200 pounds with a lower body fat and higher muscle mass, it took me 20 years to build to that frame. Mm. So it's it's not going to happen overnight. And people can't get past this instant gratification. And I'm going to say to you, stop worrying about what people think. Nobody's opinion of me is a matters to me. It does. Well, it does matter to me. But I can't influence their opinion other than by my actions. Now, people, psychology, if you look at it, people will default to two things laziness, because psychology by nature is lazy. And the words me, what does it have to do with me? And I'm going to choose the easiest path, the path of least uh, resistance. Naturally, people are going to look at you crazy when you go and jump into a lake where you guys are at during the winter. They're gonna be like, "What the? What, what's wrong with those people? And there is a form of jealousy there because they see you do it. They see you putting yourself in deliberate discomfort, get out and then go warm up, put your clothes on and continue with your day. And there's some envy there. And so naturally what people will go to is criticism and people will naturally, you know, boo you and say, you're being stupid. But it's the same thing. If you look at all great innovators or disruptors, at first, when, you know, Elon Musk was probably talking about taking over, you know, rockets for NASA, people are like, you're stupid, you're, you're going to fail. And now everyone's like, Elon Musk, well done. We always believed in you. <laughs> That's just how it is. And it's okay. And, and once you get over the public's opinion of you, and which is to say the haters, ah, you just, you're going to do what's right for you. And you're going to do what's right for your tribe, which could be your family, could be your business partners, could be your immediate circle. And if you've got their best intention in heart, don't worry about the, don't, don't worry about the hitters. Haters will hate and they're all going to be out there because they're jealous. And that brings
2: me on to another one, which is find your tribe. And that's, I guess, when you join the military, you're, you're almost forced to find your focus and you're forced to do because everyone else is focused and everyone else is doing a certain thing. Everyone else is disciplined and having cold showers. The, the bar
0: and... is higher straight away, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So if you surround yourself with people that challenge themselves every day, you have to do it.
0: So one thing we do is as leaders of our company, we've, we've got a, a company here in England and we've got about 19 people work with us. We always try and challenge ourselves more than they do. So they ha- always have to catch up. So they always have to do more, be more because we're bringing a higher level of accountability and a high level of challenge every day. But what, what that does do is some people who don't want to be challenged in that way, they, they're repelled by it. And what's difficult for us as leaders is to try and bring everybody else along that journey in the way that's right for them, not just what's right for us. What, what would you have to say to advisors on that, Mike?
1: You know, this, this really goes to uh, a business leader or, or any leader leading an organization, regardless of profession. But first off, yeah the bar was higher than I expected when I joined the military. And these guys were so self-disciplined and so self-accountable that I either had to assimilate to that way of life, or as you say, just get forced out. You'd be forced out. This isn't an assassination on anyone's character. Some people just don't have what it takes. Not everyone is created equally. Some people are low on drive where others are high. And As a leader of an organization, you pour into your people. You give them every opportunity. You try and try. And sometimes you may have to tailor an approach for the development of people because they're just different. But after a while, if people are repelled by a high bar, guess what? You wish them well, and you do, you mean that. And you show them the the exit. You show them the exit from your organization, especially business. You just don't have, you don't have time for that. People are either going to assimilate to the environment, and to the standards that are set. And and some people call that conformity. I'm going to be I'm going to tell you, we expect people to be individuals. But we also expect some level of conformity within the business world to the ability to conform and say, Hey, what is best for the organization right now? Hi, I'm Andrew from
2: Hopkins and Smith Estate Agents joining the aj mastermind has made a massive impact to our business it was something that we were completely unaware of and didn't know how to tap into the high-end market in our local market and since then they've just given us the tools to follow and get ourselves into some of these homes that we thought we'd never be able to anyone who's looking to join the aj mastermind i would say do it straight away if you're wanting to grow your business quickly and get into those high-end properties
0: one thing I really loved about your Talent War book, and I have to give you a massive thank you for that, because I've read a lot of books about team building and recruitment, attraction of, of great talent. I, honestly, I've probably read about a hundred books on it. I'm writing a book myself on it. And when I found yours, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is exactly what I needed to read. You are very tough in that book. You are very, at first, you know, you're very black and white. If you haven't got it, You can't get it. You know, if you haven't, if you don't come to us with drive and resilience and endurance and uh, what the other, positivity and all those kind of things, then, you know, you're probably not right for us in our organization. But you also talked then about how to bring those, those or develop those kind of attributes and bring them to the fore and allow people to be all they can be. And I found that a very difficult thing to get my head around, those two things. You know, I mean, can you teach somebody humility? We were just talking about this before we came on air. Is that something that's possible to do? If somebody comes with a massive ego, you know, how do you show him there's another way? That's why I said him.
1: You, me. you know what? Sometimes you set them up for massive failure. You set them up for massive failure well above their, their capacity and their capability. And you let them fail. And when they failed and they feel, unless they're, they're just a narcissistic a-hole, <laughs> you pull them aside and say, how does that feel? You completely and utterly failed. Now, had you been a team player, everyone would have supported you so that we won. But your ego is getting in the way. Some people are you need that need that, I needed that life as that. You want to know the most humbling thing? Is watching a buddy jump on a grenade three feet from you and give his life for you. It was the ultimate ego killer. Ultimate ego killer. At that point in the military, I'd finished almost number one out of every school. Or with some honors out of school, if I was not the honor man, Out of buds, I was the fire in the gut, which is the, the, it was one question asked to the students, who would you want to most go to war with? Not the guy who's the most physically fit. Who would you want to go to war with? And it was me. And so I had, I had an ego, you know, in my twenties, because I kept finishing number one or or the top of my class. And then I realized, you know what? I wasn't as good as as that guy. I wasn't as selfless as that guy. And that guy embodied everything that I want to be. And so that moment was an ego killer. And hopefully everyone has that moment. If he sometimes, and we watch it, everyone knows that, you know, that woman or man is filled with ego and they just continue to be successful. Wait for it. Sometimes it takes time. But, you know, as it comes to tribe, iron sharpens iron. So as one man sharpens another, you surround yourself with good people and you will assimilate eventually. And, and, you know, you said discomfort being in Afghanistan. Well, I was in Afghanistan surrounded by 40 of the toughest guys. And usually we had an SBS guy embedded with us. Uh, we had an exchange tour. 40 of the toughest, most lethal warriors in the world. You want to know? I actually, that's when I feared less in my life. I was more scared with Everest than I was any time in Afghanistan during any firefight. I knew we would win just because I knew the, the caliber of the character of the men I was surrounded with. But there's a reason why when I go and do these expeditions, I surround myself with like five to 10 buddies. I still don't have the confidence to do things by myself. I could have went and and did the triple seven, seven continent, seven skydives by myself. I didn't choose to because I also find more reward. I find it sweeter when we, we, whoever's surrounded by me, we do something great together. And it was triple seven, listening to those guys honor the fallen that they're, you know, the fallen they jumped in uh, honor of, and the stories about those, those men and women that are no longer with us. That was the best part of that trip. Had I done it alone, I would not have learned as much about myself or about other people, uh, as I did on that trip.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You, I think you've got to trust the people that you're with. So Phil and I, uh, we're training for a big run this year. We've Neither of us have ever done a marathon, but we're going to do a 50-mile run, which is a race here in the Lake District. And when we go out training together, I think we probably, well, he definitely pushes me harder than, uh, than if I was on my own. But then having somebody there to test and challenge you is, I think is part of how you feel about a rewarding relationship and when you're in a tribe with the right people it just lifts you up straight away doesn't it? it it's really noticeable i need to ask you about ego again because it's a really interesting topic we all know that ego comes from fear but when you're in ego you don't feel necessarily fearful you feel sometimes invincible but if you feel invincible then you don't have humility and you're not learning
2: and then also just to add to that is there a side of ego that may that that got you to number one in all That's those necessary yeah so at what point does it is the balance too much does ego drive your competitiveness as well which got you to number one in these schools which got you into serious it's a difficult balance isn't it?
1: it it is so there is uh you know if we want to put ego up on the wall and draw, draw that spectrum on one end i consider it narcissism on the other end it's pride and you've got to find that balance between the two now pride drives you to do amazing things. Pride can lead to discipline, saying I expect more from myself. And I know the right answer, which is not the easy decision here. But that's what I'm going to do because I have pride in how I conduct myself. I have pride in my my, my family, I have pride in my tribe, and I will not let them down. Narcissism is usually driven by all just the wrong things. That is me, me, me on that same spectrum as we and me. And I always identify with we over me. And that's why I'm I think I loved the military so much because I felt like I was part of something, uh, no matter how small of a part I was. But narcissism is not about the organization. It's not about the team. It's about you. It's about you. And when you, when we say ego comes out in a conversation, it's usually, you know, it's usually because you feel attacked. You feel inferior. So the only thing you know is to lash out and tell people how, 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 how much littler they are than you. <laughs> and what does it matter? In the end of it, you know, Stoicism is a is a great philosophy that I think we need to teach our youth at a much younger age it needs to be part of the of what we say the public education system in the United States but again I look at the teachers teaching it and they're just not equipped to same with leadership development we should be teaching these attributes in leadership and culture to our children starting at a young age and it goes all the way through you know all the way to college and even in college but we're not doing that we're not teaching our children about resiliency and about humility and the ability to work as a team and how to overcome their ego and how ego, you know, ego is the enemy as 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 uh, Ryan uh, Holiday Holiday has written. But, you know, ego, whenever my ego came out, it was always about me and no one else. Because I felt attacked. I felt like maybe my manhood was under threat when it wasn't. And I often read into things that just weren't there. That somebody may make a comment and it had nothing to do with me, but... My ears, my ego took it right away to he's attacking me or she's attacking me and now I've got to attack back. You don't always need to attack back. Even if you are dealing with somebody with an ego that you know, can't control their emotions, what we'd say their EQ, what does it matter? Let them go off. Let them, let them talk about how great they are and then be like, yeah, you're right. And let's circle back to what, we, what we're trying to achieve here and, blah, and finish the conversation and then go. And then paint no more mind, stoicism. Pay attention to the things that you can affect. Let the other things go.
0: So you know when you do your journaling, is it does ego rear its head in your journal?
1: Oh, it does all the time. Yeah, I will talk about other people's egos and the fact that I recognize it. And these were the behaviors, and and how I dealt with that. No matter how slighted I felt, did I attack or did I just let it go? And I sort of again, you got to celebrate the small victories for you guys when you started training for this this in. Now, this is an ultra ultramarathon. Yeah. Anything 50 miles is ultra.
0: And it's a mountain marathon as well, so it's not flat.
1: Okay. And this is going to be your first one? You chose to do yes. a mountain? Okay. <laughs> right on. Not the way I would have went around it, but yeah. right there?
0: Part of it, yeah.
1: Oh, you guys are. Okay. <laughs> did, did you guys go did go out and run 50 miles when you decided you want?
0: No. Our first time will be July this year.
1: But you're ramping up to it. You've, you've got time, but you, the point is, is you slowly ramped up to it. And it's the same thing with my journal journaling. I'm not expecting an overnight change. I'm, I want to see that I can diagnose my problems day after day and then slowly incrementally improve on them to the point where, and I think it is a lot of age and experience where I'm dealing with it right now. I won't give you the details, but I'm, I'm dealing with some egos and, and you know what? I'm like the middleman. I'm like, Hey, I'll, we'll solve this. It's okay. <laughs> Playing the middleman between two parties. And I'd be like, yeah, everything's okay, guys. No one, things are not fucked here. Everyone is okay you got a difference of opinion, is what's good for the organization. Is this good for the organization? No. Then let's move on. So you mentioned you've got a 15-year-old son. Is that is that right? Uh, 18-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son. So
2: as a father, how have you tried to mold your kids with everything we've talked about, taking ego out of it, making sure they're driven, Giving them focus, warrior principles. Yeah, anything specifically you done from a young age, or that that we should do?
0: And Phil is a father of three, by the way. A very new, very new little one, and then a five-year-old and a seven-year-old.
1: You were smart. You knocked them all out at uh, with, within a good yeah. age bracket. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, I, one, I had very good mentors in my mom and my dad. My dad was more of the anvil. My mom was uh, <laughs> she's a warrior, but she was an emotional and spiritual warrior to the core. So I, I took the best parts from both of them. And then, you know, amplified by all the Marine mentors and SEAL mentors I had, but I just have conversations. And you know, my, my son, more so than my daughter, has developed this empathy, where I look at him at the age, even at like 12, I'm like, where the hell did you learn this? And he's like, hey, I think we're to go spend time with grandpa, because he's getting older, and he may not be around. And I'm like, I did not talk like that when I was 12. We're like insane. So I talk a lot about my mistakes and I just impart them more of my mistakes than I, what I did successful. And I just share those with my son, and my daughter. I say, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. and I realized I was completely in the wrong. And so, you know, it's almost like sharing failure. Failure is, is life's greatest mentor. While sharing my failures with my children, hopefully showing them what not to do sets them up for what to do. And then the other thing, you know, one thing when my son turns five, and he used to be able to say this, and since I failed at the one thing in life that truly matters, marriage, I ended up getting divorced. This had it stopped. But there's a famous Indian warrior in the, the United States, Indian American. And it's known as the Prayer of Tecumseh. I don't know if you've ever heard this poem. And I used to say it with him, and he, he heard it. But it encompasses.
0: Yeah, in the podcast I listened to, you mentioned it.
1: Yeah, I still, if you watch the uh, documentary Drop Zone Everest, I say it at the end. And, and, oh, yes. and I say to you, I don't, I don't have screens up. It just, it encompasses everything I wanted my son and daughter to know. Live your life so that the fear of death may never enter your heart. Trouble no one about their religion. Respect others and their views and demand that they respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and of service to your people. When your time comes to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death so that they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. And if you break that down, it encompasses everything you'd want in fatherhood, creating independent, critical thinking, good, contributing members of society. Don't trouble people about their religion, respect others in their views, but hold your ground and demand that they respect yours. Perfect your life, that's your drive you know, live your life so that the fear of death, accept risk. Hard choices lead to a good life. It encompasses everything I wanted him and her to know. And hopefully that sticks with them. And all I can ask is that they do it with their children, their daughters and their sons when, uh, when the age is right.
0: That's really beautiful. I really like that. That's lovely. Okay. One last question for you. We'll make it a good one. Is what belief do you hold that very few people agree with you on?
1: Uh, what belief do I hold that very few people would agree with me on? That is a great question. I, I want to go back and do you ask this to every guest? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, man, I wish you guys had sent that.
0: <laughs> Will like I surprise you with it at the end?
1: I, I'm going to go against right now, we're seeing some people call it this woke culture, and there is a lot of divisiveness in the United States right now. And I, could, I completely disagree with what some people may be the, the majority, that you have so little because somebody else has so much. And it's this ultimate, this, this, what I think is the greatest pandemic and I write about it in the book is this, this sense of victimhood. And it's perme, permeating. I, I can't you know, speak for the UK or, or, or Great Britain, but it's like, even in the schools, they're teaching kids that you know, if they don't succeed, it's somebody else's fault and it's it's it is spreading like a disease that
0: is dangerous that is a very dangerous belief it is so dangerous
1: to to again that self discipline and self accountability that yes bad things in the world may happen covid happened to all of us but guess what you own how you respond to it you own what actions you take other people just were like well covid's hit there's nothing i can do i'm helpless no have you ever heard the term like oh the 99% and the 1% people use it in a lot of like the 1% the wealthy and everyone else is is, is not it's like I disagree with that I believe 1% has a growth mindset and these other 99% are struggling now within that 90% 99% you could probably bucket it into the severe victims the middle of the road victims and people who are on that fence of victim or growth mindset and and as you said this is dangerous right now this is dangerous we're we're creating Our education system, as I know in the United States, is creating victims that have a sense of entitlement. They're entitled to free money from the government. And I wildly, wildly disagree with that. And I'm not assassinating or attacking anyone's character. I'm just saying philosophically, I totally disagree with you. But I will also listen to your point of view and and your points on why you think people should be entitled to those, those certain things.
0: Yeah, I think it's very close, actually, to when people say, oh, you're so lucky you're lucky to live where you live. You're lucky to be able to run over a hill. You're lucky to have a business. You're lucky
2: know. to be able to afford.
0: Yeah. You're lucky to be able to afford to go on holiday. You know, well, yeah. we, we made that look. We made it happen. It doesn't happen by accident, does it?
1: No one. And I know for a lot of your listeners, very few people will understand what it means to be an owner. The anxiety that comes with it. <laughs> the sleepless nights during the early years of, am I going to make payroll yeah. or, looking at your, your financial statements at the end of the year on year three saying, I made less than some of my employees. How am I going to turn this into a profitable company? And that is, you know, I'd rather go to war 10 more times than start another business. <laughs> it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I have deep respect for business owners, small, medium-sized businesses, even people, again, like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, who everyone will villainize, they didn't come from a whole lot of wealth. They put, they risked everything. They dedicated their lives to it. I mean, over, over dedicated their lives to it. And in a lot of ways, they're totally unbalanced. They're totally unbalanced. And I don't think they're necessarily the happiest people in the world Have they accumulated wealth, but they had to sacrifice so much to get there. And because they achieved it does not mean I'm entitled to one bit of it.
0: You're absolutely right. That's a really good place to end. Yeah. Yeah. This has been fantastic, Mike. We've been so much looking forward to interviewing you and you did not disappoint. And I'm really glad, actually. I know we've had to delay this a couple of times, but in a way it's been good because it's given me a chance to reread The Talent War, for us to read The Everyday Warrior, which is a phenomenal book and we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. And to listen to yes. some of your podcasts as well.
1: Thank you as well for having me on. Good luck with the ultra marathon. Pick Take picks. You especially when you're in pain and send them to me so I can, I can make <laughs> little short comments. And, you know, thank you. I know we've had a delay. God bless. Love you guys. And thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks so thank much, you. Mike. Take care. Bye.
2: My prediction was right. <laughs> that's funny, that, isn't it? That was good. Yeah, that was a... Because there was loads of stuff we didn't actually get into, like recruitment and strategies behind that. And that's all in the talent war. So I definitely recommend you go and read slash listen to that it's a good audible
0: recording actually yeah enjoyed it what do you think about what he said about how to get somebody to drop their ego in the work for you by setting them up a massive failure
2: it would finish some people off the challenge with that in our industry is it might finish your business off (laughs) the impact it would have to be something like you know that didn't impact on on your your results and and then it wouldn't be a massive failure then but, but that that feels like a bit of an ego play to me, though, to do that. Somewhat. To make him fail. Yeah. Make a person fail. Yeah, it's usually men, isn't it? But I, I understand the idea of it. Yeah.
0: I really liked what you said about ego as a spectrum. I thought that was really clever. So on on one side, you've got pride, and on the other side, you've got narcissism.
2: It's a really funny thing, ego, isn't it? Because we can all feel when and, and see when ego is at play, but we always only see it or feel it in the negative do feel like it's got a hell of a lot to play in the positive and does especially for entrepreneurs in this industry that drives you to go and do those challenging things
0: yeah i think that is true it does when i think about when it rears its head we were just talking about this went we, on the way back yeah, from a bar were. because phil decided to correct me a few times in the valuation appointment and it made me wonder actually whether it's gonna be wrong. i didn't even notice at the time generally didn't notice so mm. i'm obviously used to being put down by you. The guy who we were there with, whose house it was, was probably the same age as me, and I wonder whether you were trying to like raise your profile somehow by putting me down. He didn't actually put me down; he just corrected me on a couple of things. I'm not I, I, well, potentially
2: not consciously.
0: Why do you think he did it?
2: Because I was wrong. Because you kept saying things wrong, <laughs> and it was little details mm-hmm. that actually didn't matter, but the best but, to you, they but were they. factually incorrect. <laughs> Yes, it
0: wasn't ten past three, Sam. It was quarter past three.
2: Yes. Three <laughs> times I did it and the third time and uh, stopped myself.
0: <laughs> it is funny, though, how ego plays a part in our lives. And, and I believe that ego comes from fear. But there's, there's lots of different kinds of fear, isn't there? There's fear that you're wearing the wrong outfit or there's fear that you're driving the wrong car. But there's also just, I want to put my mother-in-law down. <laughs> That's a different kind of fear. You should be fearful of your life
2: right now. I thought you meant by put you down, like like a dog. Like, put, put you down. <laughs> That is another option, I suppose.
0: <laughs> I think we should wrap up this podcast episode right now. Thank you very much for listening to the Ignite podcast
2: and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. She might see you. <laughs> if you are feeling frustrated with the lack of growth in your agency and you're impatient to reach those ever-moving goalposts,
0: then here's your invitation to find out more about if and how we can help you scale and fill the agency of your dreams.
2: All we want you to do is go to fire-wave.co.uk forward slash AJMM and that'll be in the show notes as well, where you'll find full information on all of our amazing Mastermind programs.